Have you ever thought much about the power of choice? We make decisions every day, all day long. No matter what we're doing, we're making a choice. Am I going to get up or am I going to hit the snooze button? What am I going to eat for lunch? What am I going to wear today? Now, most of these decisions are minor. Uh, They have little consequences unless you go to the extreme and you hit your snooze 10 times. You wear your PJs to work and you eat Skittles every day for lunch. But for most of us, those options are not on the table. That's, that's not what we're deciding between. Most of us are deciding between getting up now or in 10 minutes, or if we're going to wear a red shirt or a blue shirt, or whether we're going to bring leftovers or make a sandwich. Uh, those, those decisions don't have major consequences in our life. But there are bigger decisions that we make that are going to affect our life, decisions that will affect us and they'll affect the people around us. And we make those decisions carefully because we know they're going to have a major impact in our life. We make decisions about our career paths, about getting married, about retirement, about where to live. These decisions have a major impact in our life because with that one decision, you change your future and you change the future of of your family and and the people you're going to be interacting with. Then there's other decisions that we make that we don't realize are major decisions until after we make them. Uh, I made a decision to join a small group Bible study in 2006, and I met Tanya. <laughs> I, I, at the time, had no idea the power of that one decision, that that was going to impact my entire life. In 2010, I made a choice to pick up a piece of lumber that was heavy, and I lifted it improperly, and my back has never felt the same since. So you know, one decision, didn't think it had a major impact, but it still had an impact on my life. Um, the power to choose is a gift. It's, it's, it's part of how God made us. He gave us to have the power to choose. He didn't design us to be robots or to function simply out of instinct. He made us from the beginning so that we could have a choice, so that, so that we could make a decision so that we would be able to have a meaningful relationship with him, that we could worship our creator in spirit and in truth. It would be meaningless if we didn't, if we were programmed. If we were programmed to have a relationship with God, it would be meaningless. Do you remember uh, as a child ever being told by your parents to say you're sorry to your brother or sister or friend or whoever it is? If you are told that you have to say you're sorry, it loses its meaning. We see that at home quite often. <laughs> Tell your brother sorry. Sorry. Like, <laughs> it, you know, especially, and even if he says it nice, you know, or she, um, <laughs> but even if they say it nicely, if the other person knows they've been told to do it, it just, it loses its, its meaning. It loses its impact. Um, that is what a relationship with God would be like if we didn't have a choice. It would, have, it would lose its value. There would be no real love in that relationship. Today we're going to be continuing in our study in Romans, and we're going to be looking at the choices of two men, choices that were going to change the future forever. The first of these two men was Adam, the very first man, And we see that right from the beginning, God created him with the power to choose. 
We see this in little things like he was given the ability to go and choose the names for all of the animals. He brought them all before him. He created Adam so that he could be creative, that he could have his own ideas and, and he can make choices on things. But he also gave him opportunities to make big decisions, like whether you called a, a rabbit a skunk or a skunk a rabbit, you know, probably wasn't going to have a major impact. We would have got used to that or we would be used to it at this point. But he gave him the ability to make major decisions too. Adam, in the beginning, um, was given a law. And, uh, and so last, as we went through uh, chapters 2 and 3 in Romans, we read a lot about the law, and we read about how it, the law was given specifically, uh, specifically speaking, we're talking about the law that was given to Moses. It was given to man so that it could point out our sin, so that we would know that we haven't that we have a need that we're that we've sinned against God that we're not right with Him, um, but Adam in the beginning he was given a law as well. It was just a singular law, um, and with that law or with any rule that we find, it comes with a choice. You can choose to obey the rule or you can obey the law or you can choose to disobey the law. Uh, we find this first law that was given this first rule given in Genesis two. Verses 8 through 9. It says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees to grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good, of e good and evil. Then jumping ahead to verse 15, uh, in between there's a little description of the garden and the layout of the garden, the rivers and stuff, and some of the stuff that's included in the garden. Jumping to verse 15, though, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You are free to eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So not only do they get, does he receive a rule or a law, but he also is warned with a consequence. So the Garden of Eden had many trees, and Adam could freely eat from any of them except for the one. Right in the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life, and there was a tree that eating of its fruit would result in death. And he was given the power to make that choice to make a decision for himself and added to that choice, like I said, was a penalty. But he could choose to worship God through obedience or he could disobey and choose his own desires over God's desires. So just like um, when we're forced to say we're sorry, a life that is submitted to obedience without choice isn't, it, it lacks its meaning. There's no, there's no worship, there's no love shown in that obedience if it's forced. From the beginning, the worship God desired was us offering our lives as living sacrifices. So he's asking Adam to do. He's saying, deny your own desires and, and, and do what I'm asking you. We're a living sacrifice, putting, putting God above self. If you think about it, it's the same with any of our relationships that we have whether with friends and family. We show our love when we say that we want to go to their favorite restaurant instead of our favorite restaurant. 
When, when we have plans on Saturday and they want to do something else and we change our plans to do what they want to do. If, if your friend always forced you to do everything they wanted to do and they, they never gave up, never, never valued your ideas, if they always wanted their way, that wouldn't show any love to you. You wouldn't feel loved by that friend. And you probably wouldn't call them a friend. Um, when we submit ourselves to one another, we show our love to one another. Adam chose to obey God. No, sorry, he didn't choose to obey God. Had Adam chose to obey God, though, if he, if he would have saw that the fruit was good, and even though the fruit was being offered to him by his beautiful young wife, and he still would have refused it, God would have seen that obedience, and he would have accepted it as worship. He would have felt loved by the fact that Adam chose God over Eve. He chose God over himself. But we all know that that is not what happened. Adam rebelled against God's instruction and he failed to heed the warning given to him of the consequences. And through that act, death entered the world. <clears throat> Adam experienced a spiritual death at that moment. And also at that moment, his body would begin to degrade. It was, it was, it was destined to die from that point on. It was going to become weak over time. And eventually it was going to return to the dust that it came from. Over the last weeks, we read about how the law serves the purpose of exposing our true condition, but that's not what this law was designed for when it, when it was first given to Adam, because Adam didn't have any sin. He was perfect. God said in the beginning, he created everything, and he said it was all very good. If there was sin in the world, it wouldn't have been very good. Instead, the law that was given to Adam was originally given to him so that he could honor God, so that he would have a choice, so that he could choose God over himself, so that he could worship him in obedience. We see that all the time in the Bible where, where it says, that if we love him, we'll obey his commandments. That's how we show our love. It was an opportunity for Adam to have a way to show his love by going against his desire. Because the fruit looked good. It looked like it was valuable to him. But to say no to that and to obey God instead was a way for him to obey and show God his love through that obedience. But Adam did not obey. He, he made this choice, and this was a big one. This was the second most impactful decision made in all of human history. And we're going we're gonna to dig pretty deep into it today as we begin uh, reading again in Romans, starting at uh, chapter 5, verse 12. Romans 5, 12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So the world was free of sin, which is hard to imagine at this point, a world free of sin, and what that meant, what that looked like, um, to not have any of the consequences of death anywhere in the world. No, no sickness, no pain, none of that would have happened. It's hard to even imagine what that would have been like. But the world was free of sin, and the fact that Adam was in perfect harmony of the author of life, he had eternal life. But when sin came into the world, it separated him from God, and so separated him from the source of life, and therefore death came into the world. And that death spread to everyone. The world was free of sin, 
Actually, wait, I went back here. The, verse, uh, the verses in this chapter, uh, the next, you're going to see in the next five verses, they're, they're specifically going to expand this, this verse 12. And you'll see in like the New King James Version, they'll actually put it in parentheses all the way from verse 13 to verse 17. Um, other translations will put a hyphen or a colon. I saw one that had both. But they, they, this part is sectioned out as, as a part that is specifically expanding upon this first verse, this first thought. And uh, we have to remember that... Um, well, I mean, first off, I mean, this is, this is super consequential. This is the, the second most important act of any mankind. And he's talking to a group of people, some of which are Jews and some of which are Gentiles. This is the early church. And, uh, and some of the Jews, I would imagine, have some foundation, some understanding of, of, of Adam's sin and the fall of mankind. But the Gentiles, there's probably many of them that were less likely to have that that foundation, that that foundational understanding of mankind and and their position, their sin nature, and and where that all stemmed from. So uh, Paul is going to go on here to really lay out clearly what happened when Adam sinned. So looking forward into uh, Romans five thirteen, it continues by saying. This is the first part of this big explanation. It says, yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Now, when Paul says that there wasn't any law to break at this point, he's referring to the Mosaic law. He's referring to the law that God gave to Moses, which included the Ten Commandments. It included the ordinances. It included the worship system that they used uh, some of those instructions were civil instructions that were meant to help the Jews separate themselves uh, from the rest of the cultures around them to, to be um, set apart for God. Um, some of them were their ways of worship. They were their ceremonial laws, which demonstrated their faith and their obedience and, and offered a way of, of temporary covering through this act of faith um, through the sacrifices. But lastly, there's also a part that's God's moral law. Now, unlike the civil law and the ceremonial laws, God's moral law existed from creation. We read about that back in chapter 1 and 2, that God's law is written on the hearts of man. And, uh, and so they, they had that from the beginning. So even though they had not received the law given to Moses, they still sinned. There was still a law that they were breaking, but they were not aware of it. They didn't, they didn't fully understand it. Uh, those things hadn't been made explicitly known to them because they hadn't received the law yet, and so they weren't counted against them. But what was known to them, as we saw, like Adam knew that eating from the tree was a sin. So what was known to them or anything, and, and, and actually even after Adam, there was things known to them that was either displayed in creation or things that were passed on from Adam and Eve or from Cain's experience uh, with, with Abel. Those things were passed on. They recognized that those were wrong and those things were counted against them. And we, we see examples of this because it kind of looks like in that verse, like none of their sins were counted against them. But if you look, there's examples that they were counted against them. In fact, you know, Cain was punished when he killed Abel. We see that as a, as a consequence of his sin. We also see that uh, there was a flood. The whole earth was judged because of their wickedness. We see that Sodom and Gomorrah was, were destroyed 
because they sinned against God. So, so those sins that they knew were counted against them, but the law wasn't given yet. So there wasn't this, this vast array of, of explicit laws that were held against them, but they did know some law. Um, does that mean, uh, actually, so they, were, they knew some law, the things that they didn't know were not counted against them, but the things that they did were. So does that mean that uh, if they never knew any law, if they never broke any of the, the explicitly made clear sins that they would be free from death? No. It doesn't mean that, that without that, that they would be free from death. Because we see um, in the next verse that even if there were to be someone who did not sin according to God's, um, to what God had made plain to them, that they still would have died. We know that death entered the world and all mankind would die. They were still subject to the curse that happened through that original sin. Um, looking to Romans 5 verse 14, it says, Still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. So even though their sin, the sin wasn't counted against them, even if they hadn't done anything that was explicitly pointed out to them or that they knew that they were doing in disobedience, still everyone died, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. So we see that Adam's sin was passed on to all mankind, causing our very nature to become corrupted. And mankind, through Adam, became spiritually dead. It was passed on from Adam to his sons and daughters and, and passed on from generation to generation. Because of mankind, because of Adam, all mankind was and is in need of a Savior. So even if it were not for our individual sins, we were still separated from God. Adam made a huge and consequential decision, and it affected us all. We can see in, in Psalms uh, 51, David wrote, he said, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So we're, we're sinners. We're, we're under the curse of sin and death from the moment we were conceived. That's true for all of us, not just David. Adam's one choice, his one act of sin, had a spiritual and physical implication that was passed on to everyone. The condition of sin was passed on to everyone like it's a, like some sort of a disease, like a, like you know if somebody has um, a genetic disorder that's passed on, it's passed on from one to the to the next. Now we may not completely understand why or how this works. Um, to some, it may be, even seem like it's not fair. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair to our minds. But just because we don't get it doesn't mean that it's not true. It's because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not true. I was thinking about uh, the laws of physics. And uh, to some degree, I understand uh, what they call centrifugal force, um, even though it's not 
some there's some dark, uh, disagreement on whether it's a, truly a force or if it's just a result of another force. But anyways, but we've all been on a merry-go-round and we've spun around in a circle and we felt that pull outward, right? And, and, and uh, you know, with the, my limited understanding of physics, I understand that when something is, is thrown or, or has motion, it wants to go in a straight line unless something else acts on it. So I can kind of get the, the idea that if I'm spinning... I want to go straight, but the, but me holding onto this merry ground is, is, is causing this force, this, I'm, it's affecting, you know, what I'm feeling. And I feel this centrifugal force. I kind of, I kind of get it, but then there's gravity and I don't really get gravity. Um, right now we're, we're at about the 45th parallel, you know, uh, where we are on the earth. So that means that we're going about 730 miles per hour right now. But yet here I am, you know, stuck to the ground. You know, I don't have enough iron in my body. I don't think that, that, you know, I'm being held down by magnetism or something. And, but even though I don't understand it, even though uh, I don't know why I am being held down, um, I know it's true because here I am (laughs) not, not grabbing onto the floor. I'm not flying up to the ceiling. Um, I know that it is true in Matthew Henry's commentary. He talks about a proof uh, in this verse, of, or of this verse here in, in Romans. It says, in proof of our union with Adam and our part in his first transgression, observe that sin prevailed in the world for many ages before, giving, before the giving of the law by Moses. And death reigned during that long time. So between Adam and Moses, death reigned not only over adults, which willfully sinned, but also over a multitude of infants, which shows that they had fallen under Adam's condemnation, the condemnation brought on by Adam. We recognize that God instituted physical laws, but we also see that God instituted spiritual laws. Physical laws we see in science, but spiritual laws we can see in effect in the fact that there is a law of sin and death, that there is a consequence of death that's being passed on, even to those who have not sinned. Anybody who has not made a willful choice to sin in, you know, most easily seen in infants, most of us, it doesn't take too long before we have willfully sinned. But when you look at an infant, we know they didn't do anything wrong, but they're still under this consequence. There's still this law that's under effect. So even if we don't like it, even if we don't understand it, doesn't mean that it's not true. And, and it's important for us to understand that it is true that we're under this condition because it's, it's part of, 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 well, there's two great, two, two big things. We're going to get into the second one later, but it's part of our condition. It's, it, it's part of um, how far we are from where, you know, God is, is, is taking us through Christ. And so it, it shows the ap- our absolute need even despite our, our, our bad, the bad things we've done and the good things we've done, some people want to try and compare those and see which, you know, try and balance it out. But even without that, even if you, even if you have some disagreement on the fact that it's, it's only by faith and not by works, you're still stuck because you're still stuck under the sin of Adam. Now, the reason that this matters most, and this is the second thing, is that uh, it's not that 
without these spiritual laws that some of us might have lived a perfect life and, and been able to, you know, not die and, and be free from the curse. That's not the point of it. The, the main reason that this law matters is because there is a second spiritual law that is similar but opposite to the law that we see at work in Adam. The law that caused Adam's sin to impact all mankind, that a similar law is in effect at the cross, that causes the cross to affect all mankind. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born outside of the lineage of Adam. He was able to come as a second Adam for all mankind. And that same principle is able to reverse the curse. He's able to make restitution, paying the sin, paying for the sin that was caused by Adam and remove the curse that was passed on. But he did more than just pay for the sin of Adam. So if you think about it, if Adam's sin would have been forgiven and that curse removed, Seth or Cain also would have sinned. And then we'd just be under their sin and that curse would have been passed on. So somewhere along the line, somebody would have sinned and we would still be under that same curse. But Jesus acted in place of all mankind and through him, we can all be made alive. All of those sins, all the way through generations has been paid for in Christ. Looking back at verse 14, that second part, it said, now Adam is a symbol a representation of Christ who is yet to come. Now, uh, some translations will use the word type. They'll say that, that Adam is a type of Christ. And so that word type, it's a connecting but contrasting type of a relationship. It's not like a, a Dodge Charger and a Ford Mustang are both types of cars where they're similar in that way. It's more like uh, an old school printing press or, or even a typewriter. I don't know how many people here have used a typewriter. I might have been the last one in Plum City to learn how to type on a typewriter. I'm not sure. But if you looked at the typewriter, there's, there's all these little pieces that come down and strike the page, and they have the letters on them, but they're opposite. They're not the same. So Adam and Jesus are kind of like opposites, but yet they have the same type of, uh, same type of uh, effect where it, it spreads out across all mankind. we can see this connecting but opposite relationship. And, and uh, it's, it's explained really clearly um, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 through 22. It says, you, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, so death came in, now resurrection came from the death. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because they all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. So we saw, well, we saw occur in Adam where, where he sinned and it spread to everyone. We now see the reverse and even greater happen in Jesus. And we're going to get into the even greater uh, in a little bit. And moving ahead just a little bit in 1 Corinthians Uh, Looking at verses 45 through 49, it says, The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. 
Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like, earth, like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. And Jesus, our end is even better than the beginning. Jesus' victory resulted in not just restoration, but an upgrade. It's like me bringing a, in a totaled Ford Focus to the mechanic and coming back and getting a brand new Cadillac Escalade. Like it's, it's, it's gr- the end is greater than the destruction that was there in the beginning. And the, better, the best thing is we don't, we don't have to pay for it. Like I don't have to pay for the, the repair and I don't have to pay for the upgrade. It, I mean, can you imagine that? And that's just a car. That's just a car. A car is, has nothing compared to what we, are, what we have experienced or what we're going to experience because of the grace of God, because of his unmerited favor towards us. We, we've just barely tasted what God's grace has in store for us and the, the fullness of which, you know, is uncomprehendable, incomprehensible. It's one of those two. Romans uh, 5 15 through 16 says, but there is a difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace for his gift, grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Because of Adam, we were condemned, even if we didn't sin. But because of Jesus, we are justified, even though we did sin. Do you see how much greater God's grace is than the condemnation through Adam? We were condemned no matter how good of a person we were, how good of a person you think you are. You're you're condemned no matter what. Uh, Because Adam's sin, because of Adam's sin, because of its effect on it, it doesn't matter if you are the nicest, most selfless, most generous person to ever be born a son of Adam, to ever walk the planet, you'd still be condemned. But God's grace was demonstrated in the gift of Jesus that everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life no matter what sin they committed. No matter what sin they committed, they are still able to receive new life in Christ. So from a death that you can't buy your way out of to a life that you can't cheat yourself out of. Jeffrey Dahmer, Adolf Hitler, the thief on the cross, even those who participated in crucifying Christ were not excluded from God's gracious gift if they were to choose to receive it. It all comes back to God in his incredible grace, giving us this opportunity to choose him, to, to live a life that is in sacrifice to him and putting him first, putting faith in him. We've been given a choice. Adam was a type or a symbol of Jesus. Both of them acted in place of mankind. There was a first Adam and a second Adam, and they both acted in the place of mankind. Just as through Adam, mankind was brought to death, through Jesus, we were given the free gift 
that leads to life. And free, and, and this life is a life free from the sin that was passed down from Adam. We have a new life free from the sin passed down by Adam. In Romans 5.17, as we continue on through Romans, it says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. Even greater is God's wonderful grace, his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Sin had reigned because of Adam. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I didn't put that in my notes, but I think uh, I'm getting close. Um, Sin had reigned during Adam. All men were born to die, but Jesus, in what he did, that reality that ruled from the time of Adam, that reality that we were all going to die uh, from the result of his sin, that reality was broken and an even greater work was done in Jesus than the destruction that was done in Adam. Now mankind had been restored to this place of choice. Now God, like I said from the very beginning, God will not force you into a relationship with him. He's not going to force any of us to be in a relationship with him. If he did, it wouldn't be a real relationship. It wouldn't have any real love. We'd simply be robots. But all mankind was given a free will so that by faith in Christ, that we can receive righteousness. We can receive right standing with God, a relationship of love and life with him. I don't want to jump ahead, but I feel like, uh, I feel like somehow... Uh, Somehow I'm not, I don't know. Somehow I feel like I'm not conveying it quite. Like, we have triumphed in Christ. Like, we were in this place where we, we were completely separate. Um, had no hope. Death was in our future. Uh, whether we liked it or not, that's where we were. And, and, and I know in the church, we can get so uh, used to it. You know, it can become so accustomed to to Christian life or, or, or the, or we've, we've heard the story for so long. It's not just a story. It's, it's the reality and it's still at play in the world around us. When we look uh, around, people are living out the, the repercussions of Adam's first sin. You know, they, they were born under the curse. Okay. And so they're, they're going to die and, and they've sinned and they're, they're piling up, uh, charges against them. You know, the God, they're piling up before God. The wrath of God is one day going to be poured out as the sin, as their sin po- is, is piled up and, and held, they're held accountable for those things that they haven't, uh, they haven't received forgiveness for. They haven't received God's mercy for. And so, um, but we, we are here uh, having experienced God's grace where we've been brought, because we're in the same place. We, you know, sometimes we can lose disconnect from the rest of the world and and that we were in that same place, completely lost, no hope, nothing we could do on our own part, no good works, no, no hope. I don't know how how to say it stronger, but we had no hope and God chose to save us, even though we had, had accrued anger from him. Um, And and we're going to look, like I said, I'm afraid I'm going to step on on my own toes here on what I'm going to say, but, but 
he was able to give us life out of death, life out of death. And, uh, yeah. Amen. We're, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, move on to Romans verse 18 and 19. As we start. So we, we basically, so that was the end. Verse 17, that was the end of, of this fuller explanation of verse 12, where he's really laying out our condition based on what Adam did. And, and like I said, the, the main key thing here is, I mean, there's one that, that we had no hope, but there's two that by the same spiritual law, by the same spiritual principle, uh, Jesus is able to reverse it. He's able to do the opposite. And so now he's going to be moving on, taking his focus off of Adam so much, and now his focus is going to be primarily on Jesus. So he says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. By that same spiritual property that caused the curse to be passed on from Adam, Jesus passed on a restored relationship with God. And with it, new life. And this new life begins the moment that we choose to receive the good news. So just like at the same moment that Adam brought sin into the world, his spirit died. At the same moment we receive Christ's work for us, our spirit becomes alive. Just as Adam, it took some time before his body died, it's going to be some time before we experience a new body that is free from death. And so we see that, the, that the, in Adam, the, his, his, uh, the spiritual repercussions happen first, and then the physical, and the same happens with us with, through Christ. At the moment that the Holy Spirit takes up residency in our heart and our spirit is made alive, sorry, at that moment, our hearts are made alive. Our spirits are made alive. But that's not it. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And that same spirit lives in us. So just as death had no power on Jesus when he died and went in the grave, Neither, neither will we truly die because our spirits are been made alive. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And so we'll continue to live. And we see in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, looking at another section, we're going to see that our bodies, even though they die, even though our natural bodies die, they will be transformed into a heavenly body, an eternal body, a body that's even greater than that which we will lose. So looking ahead at Romans uh, sorry, not Romans, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, so our, our fleshy body is, is buried and is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. In glory, we're going to share in the glory of God. It is shown, sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it has raised a spiritual body. We're going to have a spiritual body. This is a greater body than what Adam was given. We're going to have a spiritual body. Adam couldn't go into heaven and be in the throne room. His body was physical. It wasn't spiritual. But we're going to have a spiritual body. There's a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. 
Verse 45, maybe I didn't give him the rest of this. I only asked for 44. 45 says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Then jumping ahead uh, to verses 56 and 57, we're reading a lot of this. It just ties in so well. It says, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God... He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So there was death that had a sting to it. But thank God. But thank God he gives us victory. Thank God he gives us victory. Thank God he gives us victory. Are we thanking God that he gave us victory? Each one of us through Adam was destined to die and then be judged. God's righteous wrath poured out for the wages of our sin. We were doomed to the greatest definition of the word doomed. But in God's grace, he restored our ability to, to be, he restored us to Christ. In Christ, we're able to be restored to him. And even as we continue to be weak, even as we continue to sin, we experience eternal life, new life to its greatest definition. So we were doomed to the greatest definition of being doomed, and we were given new life to the greatest definition of what it means to have new life and relationship with God, uh, a life beyond what we can fathom. Romans 5.20 says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Some translations will say it abounded, or even some people will say it actually is more like superabounded. It, the more and more we sin, God's grace abounded beyond what we could possibly do. In, in the sacrifice of Jesus, all sin was more than paid for. Any sin mankind could ever have committed was paid for. Jesus said it is finished. God was never going to go back to Jesus and say, hey, your balance has been depleted. You need to go pay more. That Jesus paid it all. It was finished. There was, there's nothing that could be done that would deplete the, the work that Jesus did on the cross. But on top of that, so that's God's mercy that was shown to us. But on top of that mercy, God's grace abounds in an equally unimaginable way. Think of it like this. Think of a parent or grandparents if you've taken a kid to a fair and you buy them a bunch of tickets for rides, okay? Uh, but before they use them all, they've kind of gotten on your nerves. They've, they've disobeyed. They're not listening. They're picking on each other. And, and you've told them to stop. And they say they're sorry, but then they do it again and again and again. And finally, your patience has just run out. And even though you purchased the tickets for the rides, you say, sorry, no more rides. We're going home. Their, your grace has run out for them, okay? But that's not what happened on the cross. Um, because what happened on the cross is, is we didn't get a ticket to heaven. We didn't get a ticket for heaven. All of our sins were paid for so that, so that we, um, when we sin, it's not piling up before God. All of our sins are paid for, and when God looks at us, he sees us as righteous. We have the righteousness of 
Jesus on us. So, so we sin. It's not, he's not getting tired of us because our sins are just piling and piling and piling. Finally, no, you don't get your ticket to heaven anymore. No, he, he, it doesn't add up. It doesn't pile up. He sees us as righteous because of what Christ did on the cross. That is God's amazing grace. That's why we can't, we can't lose it. We can't, we, Jesus won it. He, he got total victory over it, total victory over all sin. It's done. It's finished. He's never going to run out of grace for us because in Christ, it's, we have his righteousness. Do you agree? Is it, is this, does this seem amazing to you? Does this, I mean, I, I, from a human perspective, we can't imagine something like that. We can't imagine somebody continually sinning against us or, 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 or continually disobeying us or, or acting according to their own desires and never giving us, you know, and, and granted, <laughs> we, we're all required to this one act of, of sacrifice. I mean, we're, we're going to make mistakes, but we have to say, Jesus, I receive. Like, I recognize that I am weak and that I have made mistakes, and I recognize that, that even from Adam, I, even from conception, I was born under the curse, and I need you. And so we choose Christ, and we recognize that what he did is our only answer. And so we, we choose to live a life in sacrifice to him. And we're going to get into that next week. Um, you made, you know, this, this whole thought of grace abounding uh, raises the obvious question, then do I really need to not sin? Do I need to be careful not to sin? And so uh, Paul is going to address that in, uh, in chapter six, which we're going to get into next week. But um, for now, like, with that receiving of what Jesus did, understanding, believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth. Like when it says confessing in your mouth, it's just doing what comes natural after you've, I mean, imagine that, that going back to that scenario that, you know, I, I, I turn in this totaled Ford Focus to the mechanic and I go and pick up the Cadillac Escalade and I'm like, what, for free? And I get to keep it? Like, I'm not going to tell anybody about that. <laughs> going to keep it a secret. I'm not going to, I'm not going to confess without, you know, like, I mean, you would just, it just is going to come out. It's going to come out. So if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and that he raised from the dead and that because of that, you're free from the curse. He was a second Adam separate from the curse and through him, all of humanity can have the opportunity to be saved and be made right with God and receive a new body that's going to be greater than the one we have and we're going to have eternal life with him and it's going to be glorious and there's not going to be sin or pain and, and we, are, we have hope and future and victory and, and it's just all there. It's just like, you're going to confess that. <laughs> You're going to say something about that, right? And so let's stand, let's pray, and, uh, and then let's offer our thanksgiving and our worship to God who deserves all of it and more than we can give. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. The mercy that you poured out on the cross, giving us uh, an opportunity to be free of our sins and to be restored to right relationship with you, Lord God, and your grace that, that abounds that even as we continue to sin, you, you continue 
to love us. Lord, you continue to have relationship for it with us. You continue to leave that forgiveness out on the table for us to receive, Lord, that it, it, your grace abounds no matter our sin because your forgiveness abounds no matter how much sin we had, Lord God. And we just praise you, we worship you, and we think of the future that we have in you, that we have hope, that we have gone from death to life, that we've gone from a broken body to someday a heavenly body that is going to be perfect and that is going to be whole and that is going to live for eternity in joyous uh, relationship and fellowship with the creator God of the universe, uh, experiencing your glory face to face, reflecting your glory, being united with you uh, fully. Lord, we just look forward to experiencing you in person, Lord, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. We sing praises to you for it in Jesus' name. Amen so good to recognize and to to confess back out to to god the greatness of what he's done for us to to speak it and make it alive in us and to 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 make it new again fresh again in our hearts that that god is with us you know we, we celebrate that at at christmas time that god is with us was the, that was the beginning first the flesh you know and then then the spirit and uh we have victory in Jesus. So good. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, actually, uh, before I read that, uh, Romans 5, 21, last verse, I think, uh, last verse in Romans chapter 5, says, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them into death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God's wonderful grace rules. There's been a lot of uh, slang terms over the years that define something that's great or something that's wonderful. People uh, say something like that's cool, sweet. I know there's, there's some older ones, uh, rad, groovy, dynamite, nifty, neato. I don't know if anybody grew up with neato. That's, that's really going back there. Um, this verse reminded me of, of when I was a youth And we thought something was amazing. There was a phrase that I heard people say, and they would say, it rules. Say, that rules. I know that's not the way that this word is being used in this verse, uh, but it's a great reminding of, of God's grace and how amazing it is. God's grace rules. God's grace rules. Now, death doesn't rule, God's grace rules, but it's also amazing. It rules. Okay, God's grace rules. There's nothing better. So go celebrating, standing in the grace of God that replaced our penalty of sin and death, that state that we were in that used to rule. Go celebrating that God's grace now rules. Amen? Amen. Amen.